1: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
2: This is Good Night, Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Boski. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film *Good Night, Marilyn*. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of *Good Night, Marilyn* Radio, Nina Bosky.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Boski for Goodnight Maryland Radio. Welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Monroe herself. We have a couple of shout-outs today. Lori in West Hollywood, Dean in uh, Reno, Nevada, Travis in Vancouver, British Columbia, Felix in Manhattan, New York, Dale in Switzerland, Carolyn in Barcelona, Spain, Derek in Chile, and Claudia in the Nether- Netherlands, who sent me a wonderful uh, Maryland video message. Thank you. Good night, Maryland fans. You know, as we're growing uh, around the world, and it's it's so amazing to me um, because, you know, here in the United States, we think of ourselves, you know, we're here in the United States, but we're global, and it's so wonderful to hear from you guys and that you are listening and supporting this process, uh, especially with the panel each and every week as we really Try to break down a very complicated day and life of uh, Marilyn herself. So we are in season two, Marilyn's Last Day. There are so many people surrounding Marilyn's Last Day. And they all are connected. They're all enmeshed with each other. But how? I love how our panel will break it down for us. For us, And uh, today we'll be discussing some of those uh, people that were involved. Last week, as you know, we kind of uh, left off at that 1030 hour where... You know, people are starting, or it is said. It's not. It's a theory. It's not exactly. Uh, you know, we have facts here, but uh, it is said that around ten thirty, uh, that uh, Arthur Jacobs, which was Maryland's uh, PR uh, PR man, was contacted at the Hollywood Bowl by a messenger. Natalie Trundy, who uh, was obviously with and is the partner of uh, Arthur Jacobs, came forward and said that uh, he was just he just uh, had a horrible look on his face and said that something her- you know horrific has happened and Marilyn is either dead or is dying and so he went off uh, to Marilyn's house. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We are also talking about Eunice Murray. Eunice Murray is the uh, housekeeper. Of Marilyn Monroe was uh, there to be a companion per Ralph uh, Dr. Greenson. And uh, we'll be covering some of these, uh, you know, some of these people in Marilyn's life. It does get very complicated. And for Marilyn fans, a lot of them, especially as you can, you know, even from the experts that we have on this panel, we talk about these people as if everybody knows about them. Uh, but we have to, I think, explain each and every week, who these players are, at least briefly, so people can follow along in the, in the story. So we have a wonderful guest lineup today, uh, Elisa Jordan, who is a journalist and a historian who's researched Maryland for over 35 years. Alisa launched LA Woman Tours, which provides a critically acclaimed tour, which is the study of Maryland's life in Los Angeles. So for all you Maryland fans out there, I know there was a, a group of Italians that came over uh, at the beginning of this. Last month, and they were doing all the different uh, Maryland locations. I would uh, highly recommend that you do the LA Women's Tour, which uh, is the study of Maryland's life in Los Angeles. She gives tours which tells the history as of Maryland's idol, Jean Harlow, as well as tours that center around Jim Morrison in L.A.'s extensive rock and roll history. And then later in the hour, we are, not later in the hour, just coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to have licensed mental health ca- counselor and best-selling author Gary Vitaco Robles, Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2, and, of course, our Immortal Maryland's Leslie Kasparowitz, who has also been studying Maryland and is expert on Maryland's life for over 25 years. So it's going to be an interesting show. As you know, on Facebook, I encourage all of you, if you do have a question, if you want to join into the conversation, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. Or you can always email us at MarylandLiveTalk at gmail.com. So, uh, you know, before we uh, get started, I just have a few uh, announcements. One of them is that, you know, it's fast approaching. I can't believe it, but you have until June 30th to submit your audition tape to play the role of Marilyn. We are doing a global search. How wonderful it would be is if an unknown was able to play Marilyn. You know, we have that tagline, everybody has a dream. And uh, I have to say, over the last few weeks, we have had some wonderful submissions. Uh, and it's not an easy role to play, but you have until June 30th. Um, please send not just your headshot and bio, but you need to send a short video. Marilyn, search at gmail.com. It'll go to the casting director and the director. And from there, they'll decide who is selected for the next set of auditions. Also, coming up July 31st, we're very excited. You know, we had a wonderful press event on June 1st at the Formosa Cafe. Well, we're going to be back. We are going to be doing a live show on Friday, July 31st at the Formosa Cafe. And for those of you who have not uh, been down to the Formosa in either a long time or at, at all, they have just remodeled. Uh, the Formosa, and they have actually extended a rooftop terrace. So they're now open for lunch. We're going to have a nice little get-together celebrating Marilyn's life. As you know, it kicks off uh, the actual week to uh, 53 years from her passing. I say technically she died August 4th, not necessarily August 5th. Everybody uh, celebrates it August 5th. But uh, I think that it'll be a wonderful time to celebrate her life as well as classic Hollywood. We might have a few sur- surprises coming down to the Formosa to celebrate Marilyn. So on that note, let's get the conversation going. And I have Elisa with us on the line. Elisa, are you there? I am.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: Well, I'm really happy to have you here. Uh, tell us a little bit about. I always like to know this from people who, uh, you know, start their interest or their passion or their love for Marilyn. What first made you go, huh? There's something special about this icon.
1: Well, it started simply enough. I was a real little girl watching her movies on TV, and just related to her because, you know, she's a, an adult woman but very childlike. And then as I I grew and understood her life better, I saw her as a positive role model. I thought if an orphan who grew up in the Depression, very poor, can grow up to be the most famous woman in the world, then there's no excuse for me to not be able to set goals and meet them.
3: That's so wonderful I always I find that interesting about what is the touching point in somebody's uh, you know kind of feelings for Marilyn because okay. um, that that is something that she seems to touch if if she can do it I can do it and right. uh, that's a, that's a wonderful uh, legacy, I think, that she's left all of us, especially for anybody that has a dream, whether it's to be in entertainment or anything that you want to be in life. So how did you come about to do actually the tours of Maryland here in Los Angeles? I think it's a fabulous idea. And actually, I, I, I'm going to go on the tour. I haven't gone on the tour, so I think I no, need to go I'd on the tour. I'd love to have you.
1: <laughs> um, well, you know, a few years ago, I started volunteering on a couple of websites as the Marilyn Monroe expert. And I realized that a lot of people don't know a lot about her or are misinformed about her. And a lot of times it's through no fault of their own. They, they just haven't found the right sources. And as you know, you know, getting to the truth takes years and is complicated. And I thought, well, why don't I just create a, you know, a living classroom where I could just take people to where things actually happened and make her come alive as much as you can And then, you know, we we get these ideas and we don't always follow through because starting a company is um, a big ordeal. But the idea kind of stuck with me and was nagging at me. And the next thing I knew, I had a, a business license and I was riding a tour route and getting the word out. And fortunately, people have responded. And I find that the average Maryland fan really does want to know the truth and get as close to it as possible And they feel closer to Marilyn when they see her city, they see where she's lived, where she uh, hung out, where her career started, that kind of thing. So I've been very fortunate in that regard. And and what is
3: one thing, or maybe there's a couple, but uh, at least one thing that you can think of that people have a misconception about? I always like to ask this question as well, in terms of Uh, Marilyn.
1: All kinds of things. I think people see her as a victim, someone who has just been tossed around or um, really abused. And there are elements of that in her life, but there's also an, there's moments of enormous strength in her and enormous fortitude, and her resilience is amazing. And my goal for the tour is to show the complete woman, who she was as a human being, and so it's a 360 degree look at Marilyn Monroe, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think, in my opinion, that's the ultimate tribute to her, is to make her as human as possible and get her, um, you make her come alive.
3: Well, I think you you bring up a very good point because you said human being. I think a lot of times, not only Marilyn, but the you know, I use the word icon. The icons in our world, mm-hmm. we put them on pedestals and we act as if they aren't really alive. That they're not human beings. That somehow mm-hmm. they're just you know this this art of perfection, and they're not art. They're not entertainment. They are human beings that have a shadow side. They have mm-hmm. difficulties, just like all of us. And I think that's a real important point as we explore who she is, because I see people sometimes they'll go to what you just said, which is, oh my gosh, what a tragedy, you know, oh, mm-hmm. she, you know, victim. And then I have other people that will go to, she wasn't that, she was all this. I think every human being, all of us, have the, you know, the complexities of um, you know, an entire makeup of, as you said, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or the not-so-pretty, mm-hmm. as I like to say. So I think that's an excellent point. Now, Elisa, how can they actually take the tour? What do they need to do, and how can they reach you? Because I think this is actually a really wonderful tribute to Marilyn Monroe.
1: Well, thank you. Um, people can go to lawomantours.com. And there's a a bar at the top that says tours and a drop down menu and it says Maryland's Hollywood, and they can get to the tours there. I have um, a couple coming up, and I even have a special tour coming up where I'm partnering with another tour company that does food tours, and we're going to go to Maryland's favorite restaurants in in wow. LA. So. Um, You You know, know, it
3: might be nice, too, and we'll have to talk about this more at the Formosa Cafe, maybe that day after the event, if people want to take a tour, they can, you know, uh, do a tour that day as well. That Mm -hmm. would be the 31st. I'm not sure if you can do it, but let's talk about it, because I'd love to incorporate that somehow into the event, uh, especially for the public that might just be coming down and wanting to get into the festivities, and what a great extension. So. Mm All right. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Really, really appreciate it. And if you want to stay on, hang on. Um, and if there's anything you'd like to add, go ahead and do so as we introduce the the panel, as we continue the conversation okay. on the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. So thanks again for for being on the show today. And I, like I said, invite you in to, to chime in if there's something that you'd like to add, because it does get a little complex and okay. uh And I'm inviting the public also to call in today. I know a lot of you will email me. um, Maybe you're being shy. I'm not sure. But uh, definitely want to encourage you to call in, especially as because I'm also getting uh, not just, uh, you know, questions, but we are getting some information that actually can potentially shed some light on this case. And so I also want to invite anybody who is actually that does have not hearsay, specific information that can help shed some light on this case. Fill in the blanks that we're talking. You know, last week we started to get into speculation mainly because there isn't anything to substantiate it. There's not, you know, we don't know who was talking to who at 1230 at night or what was really going on at one o'clock in the morning. There's a lot of talk, but there's not a lot of facts. So if you actually have facts, Recordings, uh, documentation that can be proven, please, 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 uh, you know, send us an email, contact us. Um, like I said, we're already starting to get contacted, and I think this is a wonderful opportunity. Nearly 53 years later, Marilyn Monroe deserves to have the truth come out. So, Let's introduce the, the panel. As you know, we have uh, Leslie Kaspirowitz, who is uh, from Immortal Maryland, 25 years plus experience. We have Gary Vitako robles wonderful two-volume book, volumes one and two, Icon, The Life and Times of Marilyn Monroe, Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe. And we also have uh, my executive producer, who I'd also like to thank each and every week, who helps this show, as well as uh, Drew Masters. Our Booker and Mike Surgit who is our engineer, but Randall's on the on the line with us or in studio, I think as well. Uh, and uh, he'll he is joining us. Randall, are you there as well?
4: Yeah, I'm here. I'm just going to ask some questions.
3: All for right, our, for and, our panel, uh, <laughs> of course. And uh, Gary and Leslie, hi, welcome back to the show.
5: Thanks for hi, having Nina. us back, Nina.
3: Well, I, 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 you know. Last week we kind of ended at a place of that 10:30 hour, and we also wanted to uh, follow up at, for the audience because a lot of the Maryland fans know you know know who Mickey Rudin and Ralph Greenson and all these people are, but there's a lot of people who listen each and every week that you know it gets a little complicated. So I'd like it to you know make sure that we're you know we're when we're using these names we're also telling people who these people are. So, you know, Gary, I'll start with you. You know, Milton Rudin, and maybe you can go through the list of who we talked to talked about last week.
5: Oh, we talked about Milton Rudin. We talked about Arthur P. Jacobs, um, Eunice Murray, um, Patricia Newcomb's name comes up as well.
3: Yeah, so let's, Milton Rudin is the attorney negotiating with Jacobs and Greenson to reinstate Marilyn Monroe in the studio, con- studio contract But, uh, you know, it's an interesting point because remember at the beginning of the hour I said they're all enmeshed. He is also the brother-in-law to Greenson.
5: Yeah, Milton Rudin was married to Elizabeth Greenspoon, which was actually Dr. Greenson's um, birth name before he changed it. And Elizabeth played the cello professionally and she recorded with Frank Sinatra in at least one recording for Capitol Records. And um, Greenson... um, actually served uh, Sinatra, and Milton Rudin was Sinatra's attorney. So we know that Rudin served as Marilyn's attorney on the West Coast uh, sometime in 1961, most likely um, at the recommendation of Dr. Greenson, who had this very um, protective stance on Marilyn and wanted to place certain people in her life and wanted to create barriers between she and other people. This, um, is this is it. This is
3: it, it. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Keep, no, keep going. I'm going to ask you a question afterwards. Go ahead.
5: And Rudin actually recommended that Marilyn hire a woman by the name of Sherry Redman as her personal secretary in Los Angeles. And we've seen in correspondence between Redman and Rudin that um, they suspected some um, mismanagement of funds um, by Aaron Frosch, who was Marilyn's attorney in New York. So Rudin not only represented Marilyn um, through her career and her troubles at Fox, but it seems like she also, he also had some financial uh, management role in her life. There's letters where he um, urged her to um, budget properly, and Sherry Redmond was there to actually um, maintain the budget.
3: Wow. Well, that's a very interesting point, interesting point, and I also think it's a very interesting point that Dr. Ralph Greenson, center of the story as well, is placing Eunice Murray, has Milton Rudin, has all these people that he is involved with at the center of Maryland's life as well. We have to take a quick break. When we return, we'll come back to the 1030 hour and the players and the people in Marilyn Monroe's life, specifically The Last Day, August 4th to August 5th, 1962. <laughs>
2: the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank
6: you for calling.
2: VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Math Genius Radio presents Marilyn For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and Desktop at madgeniusradio.com.
3: Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the lead producer on the feature film Goodnight, Marilyn. Do you have what it takes to play the iconic Marilyn Monroe? Well I have our director here with us, Drew Ann Rosenberg, and she's going to tell you exactly what she's looking for. Drew? Well first of all, we're looking for somebody with great acting chops,
6: and then we want a Marilyn who can bring that movie star sex symbol magnetism to screen. But there's another side of Marilyn that we want to find. We want
3: to find the shy, sensitive, um, very personal, and, a, and twinkly girl who everybody loved on a private level as well. So if you have those two sides to you, you might just be our Marilyn. So if you have what it takes or you know somebody that does, go to goodnightmarilyn.com and find out all the details. That's goodnightmarilyn.com, And hopefully we'll see you in the movies.
2: Voice counts. Call toll-free voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Night, Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at one 866 472 that's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Maryland Live Talk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
3: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Marilyn Maryland Radio. It is Friday, and uh, it's a uh... It is a wonderful time. This panel, we are talking about some complexities at the 1030 hour. It starts to get very, well, it starts to get complicated about an hour or two before, but specifically at 1030 Um, As we have a theory that uh, Marilyn was contacted, not Marilyn, but uh, Arthur Jacobs was contacted about Marilyn. Uh, Natalie Trundy, you know, uh, had said that uh, Arthur Jacobs then went over to Marilyn's house. Uh, We have some callers um, that are already calling to ask some questions. Let's take our first caller, Lisa from Arizona. Hi, how are you? Hi, well, how are you? Good. So, uh, what's your question?
1: Um, I have a question about um, Marilyn's housekeeper Eunice Murray. Her story um, doesn't add up, and obviously, in certain places. But she mentioned um, looking in the window, seeing Marilyn, but pulling the curtains back with a poker. So, how could she do that if the window was um, not open? unless the curtains were outside of the window. Not really sure how that story holds up. Hi, this is Elisa and I think I can take this one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Eunice went outside and that particular window was open. Marilyn had a hacienda style house and it's fashionable for those types of houses to have bars on the windows. And so the window was open but she couldn't get inside, so she was able to take the poker and stick it through the open window and push back the curtains and see Marilyn inside. Now, when Dr. Greenson came over after Mrs. Murray alerted him, he did the same thing, saw Marilyn's uh, body laying there, but obviously no one could get through the window because of the bars. So he went Um, around to another window that did not have bars, but that one was closed and locked, and that's why he used the poker to break the window. Is okay, that this exciting. was a
5: very deep-silled window where um, the, I don't know if the, if the window swung on the inside or the outside. They probably swung to the outside, um, but there was a great distance between the grating and the window itself to allow for the full swing.
1: Okay, that makes more sense. Thank you so um, much.
3: All right. Uh, we have Italia from California. Hi, welcome to the show. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, welcome to the show. What's your question?
6: Good morning. Um, Yeah, this is about Eunice Murray as well. I was curious, there seems to be misquotes and uh, and things that are contradicting in regards to what she says. So I was just curious if there's anything that she's ever documented. Did she ever write out something or has she written any of her, you know, her uh, information as opposed to things that would just quote what she said?
5: Well, and she published a book in 1975 called Marilyn, The Last Months, and it's uh, written um, by her along with Rose Shade. So there's a narrative, and there's also um, Mrs. Murray's words herself quoted throughout it. Um, but there's also various uh, other interviews which she did um, immediately following Marilyn's death and over the years. But she goes down on record in her own book in 75. So that should be, yeah. So then those should be the you know clear depictions of her position on things, correct? Because there seems to be on the
6: show there there's quotes and it seems to get out of context at times.
5: Yeah, and and they're following um, a a time span of many years. So she's speaking um, in 1962. She's speaking in 72 or 73, then 75, and then documentaries done in the early 80s when she was significantly older I see
6: okay great thank you Uh,
3: all right thanks for the call so let's get to the 1030 hour we have Arthur Jacobs Arthur Jacobs is Maryland's PR person there's also Pat Newcomb and sometimes those those two roles uh, get uh, get intertwined Leslie do you want to define for us who these two people are so we can uh, very clearly uh, understand their roles in Maryland's life especially as it relates to PR
6: Okay, well, Arthur Jacobs uh, ran the agency, um, and Pat Newcomb was his employee. So Jacobs had been handling Marilyn's PR for some time. Previously, she was with Rupert Allen. Uh, he was uh, taking care of all of her PR up until he went off to work with Grace Kelly. Um, and then Newcomb took over. So Jacobs would have been Newcomb's employer. He would have been the head honcho there, and uh, Newcomb was her direct publicist, her press agent.
3: So, you know, at that 1030 hour, there was a messenger that came to supposedly to tell Arthur Jacobs, does anybody know who that messenger was or anybody at the Hollywood Bowl ever get interviewed?
6: You know, Gary and I were just discussing this yesterday about um, how we were wondering if they'd ever interviewed the couple that was with um, Trundy and Jacobs there. Um, but I've never seen um, any information on who that was that brought the message. I think it was just someone who worked at the Hollywood Bowl. However, there is one person who corroborates the story, and uh, that's Juliet Roswell, who was interviewed by Summers for his book, Goddess. Um, And she was an employee of Arthur Jacobs' agency, and claims that Jacobs did tell her that he went out to Marilyn's house at 11 p.m. that night.
3: Interesting. So there is, uh, you know, at least one other person besides Natalie then that is uh, talking about this. And uh, so, so back to this ten thirty fr- time frame. The official story, if uh, if we were to go through the official story, Gary is what. So people can follow. What you know, before all this Natalie Trundy stuff came into into play, what is actually the official story? Once again,
5: well, the official story fluctuates in that um, Milton Rudin called Mrs. Murray somewhere between nine o'clock. At one point, she, has, she says possibly ten o'clock, but then um, we don't hear of anything until um, you know. This, the official story is that Mrs. Murray awoke sometime after midnight, and even that has fluctuated over the years. We yeah, don't it know. Went
3: what it went time back from it went back from 3.30 in the morning to 2 o'clock in the morning, but initially wasn't it like almost like an hour before they called the police that all of a sudden she called Dr. Greens and they came over and then they called the police. Is that, is that kind of the official story at the very beginning?
5: Yeah, the, the police report says she woke up at some point in the middle of the night. Um, it doesn't really say what time it was or what she did. And then it says she got up again um, at 3.30 when she noticed uh, either the light or some versions of the cord under the the door.
3: Yeah, and it's still, you know, it's still bothersome, um, you know, in terms of of Eunice Murray. Um, You know, Leslie, last week you said something that was kind of interesting. You said, you know, Dr. Greenson didn't say, you know, you are spending the night and, you know, supposedly got her to spend the night. He supposedly asked her the question, are you spending the night? But I think that's a, a strange question if her normal routine was not to spend the night. You want to address that?
6: Yeah, well, it was very unusual for her to spend the night, definitely on a weekend. And there's some versions of the story say that this was the first time she'd ever spent the night. Other versions say it was actually fairly common, but not usually on weekends, um, that she would spend the night. Um, And, yeah, the question goes back and forth as to how it was addressed, whether it was a casual, are you going to spend the night?, or whether it was Greenson actually telling her he needed her to spend the night because he was concerned. So, again, it's one of those stories that gets told differently uh, depending on who you ask.
3: And here's a, a good question, I think, is why did she spend the night? What would be the reason for her spending the night to keep her company?
6: Uh, well, I think that there was some concern for her um, emotional well-being that day, and I think that Greenson really just wanted Murray to keep an eye on her.
3: Okay, so then you know I, I still go back to that that uh, that question about if she's spending the night because somebody's worried about that person. If I was spending the night, I certainly wouldn't just be looking under the door to see if a light was on. I mean, I just I, I just think that is the most ludicrous thing, and I know it could have just been an oversight on her part. I mean, that really could have been the the reality, but it just there's something about that that just does not sit well with me. Um, Gary or um, even Randall or Elisa, who's on the line, do you guys want to speak to that at all? I mean, does that does that not speak, you know, does that
5: well, even, sit well even with the you? Well, even the police officer, Byron, says that, you know, with his opinion that, that she seemed vague and evasive in answering questions. But when I read all of uh, Murray's statements, she seems very passive, uh, vague, and elusive in in everything that she says and and in her communication. And if we trace it back to the the beginning of the day, we clearly see signs of this. Marilyn makes a comment about, do we have oxygen in the house? And Mrs. Murray is uh, concerned about that and is unclear about that, but she doesn't directly speak to Marilyn about this. She calls the doctor up during, during the day and asks him what that might mean. And he doesn't give her any instruction, and apparently she doesn't go to Maryland directly with the question. And then Greenson kind of questions her, um, are, are you going to be spending the night without really directing her to do so? And it seems like Gre- Greenson's communication is very unclear as well, in that he, he asks Pat Newcomb, will you be staying? And um, when she sees the cord under the door and actually... Um, is concerned, she doesn't knock on the door or car- call Marilyn's name. She calls the doctor and asks him what to do, and she claims that his first question was, well, did you call her name, did you pound on the door? And um, then she does it, but she doesn't do it until the doctor tells her to. I think this is very curious behavior.
1: And to me, what, what that speaks of is, I don't know that Mrs. Murray was the best companion for Marilyn because I don't think she really knew what to do. So I think Mrs. Murray gets painted as kind of a villain a lot of times, but I I think she was just an older woman who didn't know what to do.
3: Well, and here's the other thing then, then it goes back to Dr. Greenson. Why put somebody in that role to be that person when you're worried and, uh, you know, clearly um, you're, you're wanting that person to be either, even, let's say, your eyes and ears. I mean, she doesn't sound like she's, she's really an eyes and ears type of person, given the fact that she's not really, um, you know, on it in regards to the specifics of what's happening with Marilyn. So let's go back to that 1030 hour. So let's just assume for right now. Okay, that this is this is a theory. There is, um, you know, people that have come forward and said, you know, that this did happen, right? Natalie Trundy being one of them. Um, and uh, Natalie Trundy is Arthur Jacob's wife. And uh, you know, they they were married. How long were they they were married before he passed?
5: Well, they, they married sometime after Marilyn's death because they they were engaged at the time of Marilyn's death, and he yep. died, I believe, in seventy. 372 or 73.
3: Okay, so so you know, for a good 10 years after Natalie Trundy came forward with this, never wrote a book, never said anything, never really capitalized on it. There's no real motive for her to lie and make this story up especially about her husband, right? So so let's just assume this is a theory that actually could have happened. So 10:30, then what happens? What happens at 10:30? Leslie
6: well, uh, Jacobs leaves the Hollywood Bowl, and from that point, nobody really knows where he is. According to Juliet Roswell, he goes over to Marilyn's house at about 11 o'clock. And at that point, if this is the case, we know that it's by 11 o'clock, Marilyn has passed away. Um, we don't know who else might be at the house. There's been speculation that Milton Rudin was at the house at this point in time. Um, but at this point, if, in fact, they have found her dead, I would imagine that the PR machine starts rolling here. They're going to start thinking about what their their next step is going to be to handle the situation.
3: All right. And we have a caller, uh, Michaela from Lake Forest, California. Hi, welcome to the uh, the show. Hello. Hi. What's your question?
1: Um, Is the panel going to cover the accuracy of the Anthony Summers book, Goddess? Um, I really like that book and was just wondering how accurate it actually was.
5: Gary? Well, you have to look at his sources. And um, some of the information is second and third hand, and some of it is based upon interviews. Um, In some cases, he doesn't even mention the name of the person he's interviewing. Um, he kind of builds a case that is leading towards um, some foul play, but then in in the end kind of um, says that Marilyn died uh, by her own hand and um, any cover-up that was involved had to do with just her associations with people. So, you know, when you read the book, you have to really look at his chapter notes and see um, how how these, these quotations are cited and and who the um, interviewees are, if they're even named.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's also important to point out that a couple of his major sources have been discredited since the book came out.
5: Okay, so, significant lo- to know, okay yes. so
3: who are those, what are those sources and why are they not um, accurate? Let's, let's, because people, you know, I, me included, you know, you read these things, you see these things and all of a sudden you think they're true because somebody authoritative is saying them. So what do you mean that they've been discredited? Because a lot of people really look to that book. It obviously was widely popular. So mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about those sources.
1: Well, the, the two major ones would probably be Jeannie Carmen and Robert Slateser, and they've been discredited because they have claimed to be very close to Marilyn during her lifetime, but her documented friends have never heard of them, and they don't appear in her address books. And Robert Slateser especially claimed to have been married to Marilyn for one weekend in the early 50s, but we know that she wrote a check for um, a clothing store Mm -hmm. the weekend he claimed to marry her in Mexico, but we can place her in Beverly Hills that weekend, and there's no evidence that they even knew each other, let alone were married for a weekend, and that was during the time she was dating Joe DiMaggio. Um, Jeannie Carmen claimed to be her best friend, but no one really can put the two of them together And actually Marilyn had a habit of not befriending other beautiful blonde women. So we see that she's friends with people like um, her masseur or her employees like Pat Newcomb. So there's really no validity to some of the things these people have said, and they're the ones who, you know, Robert Slatzer and Jeannie Carmen, they're the ones who have really painted the... um, Murder theories and, you know, blame the Kennedys for her, her, mur- what they call their murder and that sort of thing.
3: All right. Well, we have to take a break. This is obviously uh, an interesting aspect of 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 this. I think uh, Gary, you and I had an offline conversation during the week, and I think this is very fascinating. When uh, when people there's not any um, you know factual you know substantiated evidence, but uh, you know again not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Is there something that any of these people? I'm not saying these specific two people, but uh, is there a way to look? at all of the information they bring um, and not discredit every single thing they say, but is there something of truth in part of what the information is? Not sure, but that's why we're exploring. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh
0: For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and Desktop at madgeniusradio.com.
3: Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the lead producer on the feature film Goodnight, Marilyn. Do you have what it takes to play the iconic Marilyn Monroe? Well I have our director here with us, Drew Ann Rosenberg, and she's going to tell you exactly what she's looking for. Drew? Well first of all, we're
6: looking for somebody with great acting chops. And then we want a Marilyn who can bring that movie star sex symbol magnetism to screen. But there's another side of Marilyn that we want to find. We want to find the shy, sensitive, um,
3: very personal, and and twinkly girl who everybody loved on a private level as well. So if you have those two sides to you, you might just be our Marilyn. So if you have what it takes or you know somebody that does, go to goodnightmarilyn.com and find out all the details. That's goodnightmarilyn.com, and hopefully we'll see you in the movies.
2: News, opinion. your voice counts. Call toll free 1-866-472-5787. one 866 472 Are listening to Good Night Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Marilyn Live Talk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
3: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Good Night Marilyn. If you could only be with us offline sometimes. this is I, I, We should have brought this to the, to, the, to, the, to the show and maybe we will in just a few minutes, but I want to do my life bite for the week. Um, so here is the life bite of the week. It's a little life lesson for you to think about. You know that Marilyn, even with all of her pain, was an optimist. So what I'd like you to do this week is to be present to your good. Well, how do you do that? You watch your negative self-talk, if you find yourself judging or being critical of yourself, turn it around. Start to examine how much you do right. Focus on what you do right. Seek it out. Look for it. Nurture it. And support your own good parts. You know, with all this negativity in the world, and believe me, you know, heard a lot of, of things going on in the world that aren't so, so nice and, and, and pretty dark, it's important to give yourself the space to shine. There is a great quote, your own soul is rooting for you. So look for the good and first and foremost, celebrate it in yourself. You won't truly get acknowledged for all that you are in all that you do, at least from the outside world, until you are willing to see that beautiful spirit inside of you, just like we see in Maryland. Here's to your soul growth. On that note, we've got a little little growth to explore here. Uh, right before the break, we brought up uh, you know uh, Robert Slatzer and uh, his uh, his contri- contribution um, to this case, to Maryland's life and death. I think one of the things that I find that is interesting about him. Uh, he wasn't successful at it, but he did try to o- reopen the case. And I think for that aspect of it, I think that's really important. Um, but uh, Elisa, Jordan, you know, you were talking about uh, the, discre- you know, the the people that were discredited. Mm-hmm. And uh, Randall, you wanted to jump in here. And I think this is an important point to, to bring out and, uh, you know, bring it to the discussion in the live show.
4: Yeah, I had, uh, just to review, I, uh, had a, I was a cameraman on a documentary that was made in 1986 uh, that I was actually present uh, at Marilyn's home and interviewed Robert outside the gates on camera. And for uh, on a couple of successive days, I, I had to, about three or four hours on this, so about eight hours total that I had to spend time talking with him, asking him questions, because at that time, I really knew nothing about any of this that was going on with Marilyn's life. I, I would really, I saw, I had, had only seen one of her movies, Some Like It Hot. So this was all new to me. So I was coming at it from a completely you know new perspective. But he had a lot of filing cabinets. He had about four filing cabinets in his house. Uh, back then, when I first met him, he wasn't married. But in 2001, he was to a woman named Deborah. So there's Deborah Slatzer. And I don't know if she's still alive, but Robert had a lot of filing cabinets. He showed me a lot of unpublished photos uh, and he did record uh, s- uh, several interviews, one of them with Eunice, uh, Eunice Murray, which there's a picture in his book of him, Ashley. And there's a tape recorder with the microphone, as I said last week. And he talked about a lot of personal things in Maryland. My impression of the man uh, from just my sensibility of, you know, when you know someone, you know if they're BSing you or not. I didn't get that sense from Robert. I think he exaggerated the relationship. Uh, but he showed me things in his filing cabinets of photos and things that I don't think he ever put in his books. And one of the reasons was I think he was also protecting his own behind because a lot of people knew that he possibly had some things which could, you know, be possibly even incriminating. And my sensibility that he was very, very careful about what he released to the public.
3: All right. So uh, Leslie, you want to jump in here?
6: Um, I think the biggest problem that most of us have with Robert Flatzer is that he claims to have uh, had an extensive relationship with Marilyn, that they were lovers and, in fact, married at one point. Um, and, well, I would credit the man for doing a lot of research and doing a lot of interviews. And certainly, I mean, I didn't see his files, but I'm sure that they were extensive. But unfortunately, um, he does make a lot of claims about his relationship with her that can't be verified, some of which can be immediately discredited, such as the marriage story. Um, And so it's very hard to separate... Um, his research on Marilyn from his claims about his relationship with Marilyn. And I think that's also true about the Summers book. Summers did a a great deal of research, interviewed people who had not been interviewed before, um, but because he uses some discredited sources, there's a tendency to discredit his book entirely. So uh, you were talking about throwing out the baby with the bathwater, and that's Mm -hmm. definitely a situation that happens with Slatzer and with Summers book as well.
4: Well, those filing cabinets exist somewhere, and if we get our investigation going, you know, we could possibly find out where they are.
6: Yeah, I think that's an
3: important part because I think it, you know, boils down to especially with somebody that is giving false uh, information. You know, to what Leslie just said and we said earlier in the segment is that you know it's so easy just to discredit them entirely, and that may or may not be true. Um, but I, 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 at this point, based on the fact that she, he was not in her her um, address book, I think that's highly suspect. And the fact that he, yeah. uh, you know, in the marriage situation, um, you know, that's just just it's just so hard to 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 believe the man but to the fact that he he wanted to bring you know forward the investigation there's four you know filing cabinets worth of stuff you know if there is something there this is the time to bring it forward and we're already getting information from people and as we start this investigation i think it's going to be key gary or uh, elisa did you want to add on anything
5: i'd like to to weigh in on slate sir and he might really have believed in his heart that there was some foul play in, in the death of Marilyn, um, but I know he had his, his moment of opportunity um, when he and a private detective, Milo Spiriglio, um, did a few press conferences in the early 80s on the 20th anniversary of Marilyn's death, and they were the ones who um, elevated the concern for the um, Los Angeles to reopen an investigation, so certainly, during that investigation, which went on through the second half of 1982, um, I would imagine that any evidence that he had pertaining to the case would have been used in that investigation.
3: Interesting, interesting. So, Alisa, uh, did you want to add anything before we move on?
1: Yeah, um, I think Gary makes a, a really valid point, and. When the case actually was reopened in 1982, he didn't bring forth any of the information that he claimed to have, and to me, that's just very suspect. Mm-hmm.
5: And a lot of his his um, questions about the case had to do with a layman's terms. Of, of the forensic evidence. You know, he was the one who believed that if there was no residue in the stomach, then an oral ingestion of the overdose couldn't have been possible. He was the one who said um, there would have been a yellow dye from the Nembutal. So he had some of this information, which maybe he believed was medically valid, but um, subsequently I think we've had some um, qualified um, pathologists be able to make comment and even um, dispute some of his theories based upon medical evidence all
3: right. all right so so yeah I think also as we go along I think it's important for us to you know look at the different theories the different books that are out there and uh, you know I think this is important for people because You know, when you're looking at reading a bio of Marilyn, uh, you want to make sure that uh, it's credible, Um, you know, on Facebook and even on, uh, you know, the websites. There are, you know, uh, you know, wonderful resources, Immortal Marilyn, to give you insight into the real person. You know, Gary's book is very thorough, you know volumes one and two icon the life uh, times and films of Marilyn Monroe these experts obviously know the different players so let's get back to the timeline Arthur Jacobs arrives at one two three zero five fifth Helena from uh, the Hollywood Bowl what supposedly happens
6: well, at this point, we don't know. I mean, we're into we're into pure speculation, and yes. I, I want to really stress that we are into pure speculation. Um, it's possible that the scene was cleaned up. Um, there is some possible evidence that Marilyn's body was moved, possibly she was turned over to check for vital signs um, and was then replaced in the face-down position for For what reason, I don't know. Um, but I think that the studios would have been contacted. I think that um, there's probably some phone calls coming and going, um, and the the PR people would at this point be trying to figure out what story they're going to present to the press.
3: Okay, and uh, let's just define as this is a theory, it's not fact, what, uh, who are the people that were actually there um, in, in some of the theories? So you have the PR people, Arthur, J- Arthur Jacobs. Um, there is a theory that uh, at this point Peter Lawford is there. Is that correct or no?
6: It's in okay. the theory. That's been, that's been speculated, know. yes.
3: And speculated. Okay. There's also speculation, and I'm not sure if this is, uh, you know, obviously none of this is uh, is fact, uh, but that Pat Newcomb then comes over. Um, but I think, Leslie, was it you that uh, mentioned this? And I thought this was kind of interesting um, that Arthur Jacobs, given who he was, would not have let anybody else really in the agency know about it at that time that he would want to deal with it, you know, privately until he knew what was going on. Is that correct?
6: That was, that was Gary's theory, but, I, yeah, I tend to agree with him on that. I mean, initially you would think Pat would be the, the first person brought in. She is Marilyn's publicist. Um, but as Gary pointed out, she was also very close to Marilyn, and you can see from the way she handles herself when she does arrive at the scene, she's screaming at the press. She's visibly upset. Uh, Jacobs may well have thought she was not going to be emotionally capable of handling the situation.
5: And It was always my theory that since he owned the company, and it was his liability. He um, only would have trusted himself and, and, and wouldn't have delegated anything to his minions, especially one who would be so um, emotionally involved with Marilyn, as, as Patricia clearly was. She was her friend as well.
3: All right. And, and next week, what I'd like us to do, if we could, because there are theories that at some point in that time frame, 1030 to 12 midnight, somewhere around there, that Marilyn actually is not dead that she is kind of in a comatose and an ambulance arrives to take her to the hospital. We don't have a lot of time to, to really get into that theory at this point. But I do want to, um, you know, do want to, you know, just uh, kind of recap what we've talked about. And if anybody would like to add anything, I'm going to start with you, Elisa. What would you like to add to this conversation that would give us something to think about for the week?
1: Well, it's maybe stating the obvious, but none of us were there, so we're all kind of making educated guesses, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: people tend to become um, emotional about this. So as we're discussing it, um, you know, I think our panel has done a great job of researching, but for the people listening to um, please keep an open mind because I know I have had people come up to me and argue with me about um, theories, so it, it is something that we have to tread on carefully and lightly.
3: I think you're excellent point. Keep an open mind and don't think because none of us were there that you know exactly what happened. Uh, Just a few more minutes. Leslie, anything you want to add?
6: Uh, Yeah, again, like I was stressing earlier, we are into speculation here. Um, There are some theories that can absolutely be discredited by the science. If you look at the autopsy, Dr. Weck himself says that she would have been dead by 9 p.m. Based on rigor mortis, lividity, you know, all of that stuff found in the autopsy and in the pathology. So there's a certain point in the evening based on that that we can say that nobody could possibly have seen or spoken to her alive.
3: All right, we've got to end on that note. Sorry, guys, we've run out of time. Uh, thanks, Thank you to my guests, Elisa Jordan, LA, is it
0: LATours.com?
3: LAWomantours.com. LA LA uh Gary Vitaco-Robles, Icon Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, and Immortal Marilyn's Leslie Kasperowitz, and of course, our wonderful Randall Libero chiming in today. I am Nina Boski for Goodnight Marilyn, and remember, until next week... Never stop dreaming.
2: Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night, Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.